Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Margarita Franco. One time we were stuck in traffic and the woman in the next car accidentally caught my mom's eye. And mind you, she's a complete stranger. And my mom, she says to me in the back seat, she's like, see that, Marchie? You see that? That puta? She's the one who's sleeping with your father. <laughs> that and more. But first, did you know that one of the quickest and easiest ways to keep track of all of our live shows, our new social meetup events that we're creating, pitchathons or story slams, new merchandise, or new announcements about Patreon perks that we're introducing? The easiest way to keep track of all of that is by signing up for our newsletter. A few times a month, we'll email you a quick and simple rundown of the most exciting news in and around the Risk community. Just go to our site, risk-show.com, and look for the yellow box in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, or you can always email me directly to be added. As always, I'm at kevin at risk-show.com. We'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. Hello, 
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Sam Evian behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Suspicions, the kinds that lead to transformational discoveries and the kinds that lead to paranoia. Oh, oh, my God. I have been going through both kinds. I've been going in both directions a lot lately. I I had an extremely painful breakup recently. And unfortunately, it was, you know, due to many circumstances that weren't really in anyone's control all that much. We had a very hard time being able to connect, to process it for a while. And thankfully, we're on track better with that now. But sometimes this world we live in is so damn busy and stressful that, you know, tending to what matters most, the people in our lives, is one of the hardest things for people to find the time to do. (laughs) And I'm sure you can guess. (laughs) And I'm someone who, you know, loves a lot of honest, thorough, open communication and processing of things in relationships. So... When all of a sudden there's a break, but you don't know when or how you're going to be able to talk it through. It's it's hard. It is it's so hard not to fall into guessing games. You know, about a million different possible scenarios. What the other person might have been thinking at this moment or if you're interpreting whatever wrong But where suspicions can be helpful for me lately is when I pay close, sober attention to my own thoughts and feelings as they arise and notice what triggers them and notice when I'm either clinging to unhelpful fantasies or, I don't know, you know, wallowing in bullshit theories or just distracting myself, running away from just simply feeling what is, what what I know really is. That's why it's so helpful to check in with my therapist and check in with friends. And lately I've been reading a truly beautiful book called The Wisdom of a Broken Heart by Susan Piver. If you're in a similar boat as me right now, I highly recommend that book. And it does sometimes feel like I am a bit of a detective, you know, gradually following threads of clues to better understand how I deal with suffering like this and suss out what I might try differently to grow what might help me to get to a different level of healing than ever before now. And in these two remarkable stories today, you will notice many moments when suspicions were 
leading people down rabbit holes, or toward the light. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Margarita Franco at our L.A. show, who was so great on the show last year that we had to have her right back, which turned out to be the right idea. But before that, I'm so thrilled to feature Nate Runkle on the podcast for the first time. Nate is such a delightful, passionate, fascinating guy, big music lover, and I love big music lovers. He had me on his podcast, which is called Yo, That's My John, spelled J-A-W-N. Apparently the word John means whatever you want it to mean for people in Philadelphia. <laughs> like the word Smurf means whatever Smurfs want it to mean when, they, when they're putting a sentence together. So Nate interviewed me about all my Johns and it was a delight. And then we invited him to take a little trip from Philly up to New York to do Risk at Caveat in April. So here's how that sounded. This is Nate Runkle with a story we call How I See Myself. friends and family all right so when I was a kid I loved the Muppets all right and my favorite Muppet the Muppet that I loved the most the one that I related to was Gonzo okay because while Kermit was a frog and Piggy was a pig Fozzie was a bear Gonzo well Gonzo was a whatever Gonzo was nobody knew what Gonzo was it was whatever Gonzo is. Gonzo was weird. Gonzo was different. And I really related to that. Because, you see, I have dark skin, all right? If I were to describe my skin color to someone who maybe isn't sitting in this audience, but is maybe, I don't know, listening to me tell a story on, say, a podcast or something like that, the best way I could describe myself, and audience, back me up on this, is I look identical to The Rock Dwayne Johnson. Okay, I look like the Rock Dwayne Johnson's kind of scrawny younger brother who's somewhat built like E.T. with these tiny little arms, a little bit of a belly. Okay, I'm losing the thread here. What I mean is the Rock and I share a complexion. And the reason I mention this is that no one else in my family has the same complexion as me. Not my dad, not my mom, and not my sister. My mom, when she was alive and she was younger, she had like blonde hair, really fair skin, much like my sister does now. My dad, dark hair, slightly darker complexion, but nothing you would ever confuse for anything other than white. And now I, I look like me. You know, I had heard we had Irish and Welsh and some German in our background, but nothing, nothing that could explain the way that I look. You know, I used to tell myself, I never met my maternal grandfather, okay? My mom was born out of wedlock, and we had no pictures of him. And I always thought to myself, well, my grandfather, he must have the same skin color as me, and it must be like some sort of like recessive gene, like being a redhead or like blue eyes or something, and that's where my complexion comes from. But even with that thought, I always felt different, okay? And I always felt other. 
And that's why I related so hard to Gonzo. And we never talked about it as a family. We never had any conversation about it until one night we actually did. You know, my mom passed away when I was in my 20s and I failed out of school and I moved back home. It happens to the best of us, okay? And I'm living at home for a very long time, all right? And I'm in my 30s and my dad came home from the bar drunk, all right? My dad was a drinker. My dad had a little bit of a problem with alcohol. You may call it alcoholism, okay? <laughs> So my dad comes home drunk one night, and he was a jovial drunk. You know, I've, um, our family always said, runkles are uh, lovers when they drink, and it's true. And my dad came home from the bar, and I don't even know how it came up, but somehow he let slip that he had reservations, that he was actually my biological father. And I just sat there, and all of a sudden, all of those feelings of being other came flooding back to me and those feelings from childhood and some of those stories I hadn't thought about in years. Like my grandmother used to take me to work with her and all the ladies in the office loved me and there was one woman who always said, oh my goodness, Nate has the most beautiful tan. I wish I had Nate's tan. And that was the first time I ever remember anyone mentioning that I looked different than my family. And then you know you go to elementary school, right? And kids are curious, kids have questions and they're like, Nate, why don't you look like your parents? Why are you dark and why are they light? And I made up an excuse for it. You know, when I was born, I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck and I stopped breathing and I died. I was pronounced dead, it's a true story. But what I told them was, when I died, the melanin level in my skin peaked. And when I came back to life, <laughs> that's what you got. <laughs> and I said that because I didn't have an answer for them. But here I am in my 30s, in my bedroom I grew up in, in my bunk beds, and my dad's sitting next to me, and he just said that he's not sure if he's my biological father. And I had a breakdown. I had a panic attack, and I disassociated. And all I remember is screaming and crying into my pillow, no, no, why, God, no, please, no. And he immediately understood that he made a mistake. And he wrapped me in his arms and he pulled me into his chest and he started telling me, I love you. This changes nothing. You will always be my son. And that hurt even more. And I started crying even more. And so he started to try to take it back. And he said, well, we can never really know. We can never really be sure, you know. Your mom's not here for us to ask. We'll never know. And with that, he planted a permission structure in my brain to remain agnostic to the fact that my father may not be my father. You know, and after that night, we never talked about it again. It never came up. I never mentioned it and he never mentioned it. And I can, I can tell that you're probably asking yourself something that heavy, how did you not talk about it? How did it not come up? And it's simple, I have an answer for you. My family, we come from a very long line of practitioners of the art of avoidance. It is our mutant superpower. We are like the X-Men of avoidance, okay? And I am an omega level mutant, okay? I will avoid everything. In our family, my dad, I told you about the alcoholism, we never talked about it. My mom was a heroin addict and we never talked about it. In my teen years, my parents separated but still lived together, and we never talked about it. Because, guys, 
Avoidance is key. And so I locked it away, and I never thought about it again. That's a lie, I thought about it a lot. So in 2019, my dad passed away from liver failure, okay, from the alcoholism. And with him died any opportunity to have a conversation with someone about who my father might be. But that didn't bother me because I knew who my father was and he just passed away. And so I didn't think about it until just this past September and I got engaged to my beautiful fiance, Katie, who's here tonight. Katie always said, well, aren't you curious? Don't you want to know? Like, even just for yourself, don't you want to know? And I didn't, because we talked about it, avoidance. Um, and she used to joke, she would say, you know, while you're asleep, I'm going to swab you, and I'm going to send it out, and I'm going to find out just for me, and then I won't even tell you. Well, you know, after we got engaged, I started thinking, we're starting a future together, possibly even starting a family together. And what if... What if my story is no longer just my story anymore? What if we have kids? What do I tell them? Do I continue the train of avoidance? No. So what I did on Cyber Monday, with a very good deal, <laughs> I ordered a 23andMe health and ancestry kit, okay? Came in the mail, spit in the tube, put it in the envelope, send it off, felt perfectly fine. That also is 100% a lie. I had 30 days of anxiety as I waited for this thing to come through, right? But then one day I'm sitting on the sofa and notification pops up, you're 23 and me results are in. Cool, let's check this out. So I open it up and I start reading and it says 28.6 British and Irish. Okay, there it is, Welsh and Irish like I always thought. 24.8% French and German. My dad's German, all right, confirmation. My parents are, that's not 100%. So I keep reading, 32.6% West African, 18.4% Nigerian, for a total of 44.5% Sub-Saharan African. I'm half black, but my mom's not black, and more importantly, my dad's not black. Fuck. <laughs> Katie comes home from work and she can tell something's off and she says, what's going on with you? You don't seem present. And I said, well, my 23andMe results came in today. She goes, oh my God, what did it say? And I said, well, it said that I'm 44.5% sure that I am allowed to rap along with Wu-Tang Clan songs without <laughs> self-censoring. I laughed too, but then I cried and I had another breakdown. You know, Katie afforded me the space to kind of deal with what I needed to deal with and then a few days later we're out for a walk and she had some questions and I had some questions, but she wanted to know how I was feeling and she, one of her most important questions was, well, how do you identify now? And I'm gonna be honest with you, because of the way I look, I have always identified with marginalized groups and I've done that as a therapist very recently told me, because as he said, when you get pulled over by a cop, you know exactly what that cop sees. Because here's the honest truth. Racism doesn't look for a DNA test. It doesn't care. It looks to hate and it looks to hurt. So I have heard every single racial slur for every single group that has dark skin my entire life, be it black, Arab, 
Indian, Puerto Rican, anything, I've been called it. But I've always presented myself as like a nerdy white guy. So to even say that I'm half black feels like appropriation. It honestly feels like I didn't live that experience, that I haven't earned that experience. And she asked, well, are you mad at your parents for never telling you this? And my God, no. If anything, I love and respect my father possibly more than any person I have ever met. Because here's a man who had very strong doubts that he was my biological father, but he stood there and raised me to be the man I am today. And to my mother, I feel nothing but sympathy and love and compassion towards her because she had a very hard life. You know, I told you she was born out of wedlock. That was in the 50s. And she was made to feel lesser because of that. She had a lot of trauma in her past, sexual assault, multiple suicide attempts. I told you about the heroin addiction. And then in her 40s, she succumbed to leukemia and she passed away. So I have nothing, nothing but love and sympathy and respect for my parents who did the best to raise me to be who I am. If there's any anger whatsoever, it's directed towards myself because I was never strong enough, I was never adult enough to have a conversation with them about how I felt. And it was all because of our mutant superpower of avoidance. And what I was avoiding, what I have been avoiding my entire life has been based in fear. And it's the fear that my dad or my dad's family, they might think that if I were looking or asking questions, that I didn't think they were enough, that I wanted something else. And that couldn't be further from the truth because the main thing that has made me the neurotic person that I am today, the people pleaser, everything, is all based in the other half of that fear. And that is that fear that they would love me less, or maybe even not love me at all. You know, I talked about Gonzo, Muppets from Space came out, and that was like a slap in the face to me, all right? I rejected it, it was an insult, because they tell you where Gonzo came from. They told you Gonzo was an alien. And I never wanted to know that. Much like myself, I never wanted to know. But ever since finding all of this out, I've kind of revisited that. And now it has brought me nothing but comfort. Because in the end of the movie, the aliens come back for Gonzo. And they offer him a chance to go back to his home planet. But he decides to stay on Earth with the Muppets, with the family he found, and the family who loves him. So much like Gonzo, I was able to discover who I am without ever losing sight of who my family is. And if you guys don't mind, I'm probably just gonna stay here on Earth and be a Muppet. Thanks.
see me in the movies. Then I know that you will finally see. Who are you? The biggest fool that ever hit the big time. Oh. And all you gotta do is hack naturally. Hey, wait a minute, you can't do this. Why not? Well, you're a reflection. You're supposed to do just what I do. But you do ludicrous things. I do what? Ludicrous things. Of course I do. I'm an artist. And all I gotta do is act naturally. We'll be right back. We're back. So... I grew up with five brothers, okay, and um, we were poor. And um, my mom and dad used to fight all the time. I mean, sometimes it was about money, sometimes it was about my, my mom's extracurricular activities, which was dating. And yeah, and, um, but most of the time it was my mom accusing my dad of having a girlfriend and cheating, right? And I knew that she was kind of paranoid. Even at 11 years old, I knew something was wrong because she had concocted this crazy story that my dad had this girlfriend and this girlfriend would follow him wherever he'd go. It was like a never-ending game of where's Waldo, except the girlfriend was Waldo. Well, and then my mom could find her anywhere in the crowd, right? Like anywhere we'd go, she was there. And according to my mom, the girlfriend was like a human GPS. She could track my dad anywhere. Like if we went on vacation and for our broke ass family, a vacation was like going up to Mount Baldy and spending the night with homemade tents. My mom thought that the woman at the campsite next to us who was with her family was actually there for my father. So my mom would like stare her down and this poor woman was just trying to camp with her kids. And my mom was certain, convinced that this was a woman who was there for my dad. One time we were stuck in traffic and the woman in the next car accidentally caught my mom's eye. And mind you, she's a complete stranger. And my mom, she says to me in the back seat, she's like, see that Marchie? You see that, that puta? She's the one who's sleeping with your father. That's her. That's, I see you. Don't lie. I know it's you. There are traumatized drivers out there because of my mother. Now, looking back, I don't know if she had some undiagnosed mental issues, my mother. Um, there were lots of episodes. Or it was just her need for constant drama and chaos. But I do know that that's all I knew, right? This was normal to me, it was my mom. And my dad, my dad, he loved my mother to a fault. I mean, he just loved her. And when he would get a couple of beers in him, he'd get all misty-eyed, like all telemundo. And he, <laughs> and he would say to me, Marchie, she was only 15 Marchie. I was 19. God damn it, we were babies, Marchie. She was the most goddamn beautiful woman I ever saw in my life, Marchie. I was in the Air Force, and I had my uniform all ironed, because that's what they teach you, hijita. But God damn it, she was a Mexican beauty. Your mother was so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> and he, he always cried when he told that story. 
So my brothers and I were in the room watching Gilligan's Island, right? It's the 70s. And, uh, you know, my brothers, I mean, it's the 70s. So, like, my brothers had painted the, the room purple. We had a black light. There was a strobe light. Jimi Hendrix posters on the wall. I'm sure there was a spliff or a nickel bag of pot in there somewhere. I'm sure of it. But all of a sudden, you know, we're hearing my mom and dad fighting in the other room. And then now my mom has added that my dad not only has a girlfriend, but now he has kids with this woman, right? This is an imaginary situation. So the next thing we know is that my mom is standing in the doorway where we're watching TV and with her usual dramatic flair, she says, kids, listen to me, I'm leaving because your father is cheating and I'm not gonna take it no more, you hear me? And I, you can all go and live with that puta and her kids. And I'm looking around like, what is going on? And my brothers do nothing. They never stop watching the TV. They never look away. And you know, I'm young, I'm not as seasoned as they are. So I'm just like, what, 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 what's happening? And I can see that my mom is kind of getting upset because no one is up in arms. Like, no one is saying like, yeah, mom, you deserve better. What are you doing with this good for nothing guy that lets you date and stay out all night? What kind of bullshit is that, mom? But nobody says anything. So then my mom kind of looks at me and she says, you want to come with me, Marchie? You can have your own room. And I'm like, oh my, my own room? I mean, this is huge. And then she says, and you can put up those pinchy Donny Osmond posters you like. And she walks out. And I'm like, I mean, you guys, first of all, Donny Osmond was like the Harry Styles of the 70s. If I had my own room, I would just cover every wall with Donny Osmond posters. It would just be incredible. I mean, you don't know the humiliation I had to suffer and endure sharing a room with teenage boys. My brothers would go in the bathroom and they would get a towel and they would take the corner of it and they would wet it <laughs> and they'd come out and then they'd flick it at me and they'd chase me around the room flicking this towel at me, right? And that shit stung. Yeah, I, I wanted like my own girl's room, not a locker room. And sometimes I'd try to hang up a Donny Osmond poster and I'd come home from school and there'd be like a penis drawn right next to Donny's mouth or like hairy balls under his chin drawn on it, you know? And I mean, I was 11. So my own room, I'm in. So I get up and I follow my mom out into the other room and she puts her arm around me and now we're buddies and she's telling me how great it's gonna be and I'll probably have my own bathroom. And I look back at my brothers, you know, cause I'm lapping this up and I look back at them cause I'm sure they're jealous. And they never ever stop watching the TV. But I don't care, because I'm going to get my own room, and it's going to be great. So I start packing all my stuff, and I put them in, um, we didn't have suitcases, so I put them in big trash bags, like the yard trash bags. And I move in my bags to the, to the front of the house, and my older brother gets in the way, and he, he's blocking me. And then he's like, hey, Margie, you're such a dork. <laughs> you're not going anywhere, you dummy. And I have this feeling that he might be right. But I'm so mad because my brothers are always crushing on my dreams that I just yell, you know, I'm getting my own room, jerk. And then I sit down on my bags for like hours, hours while my mom and dad are fighting. 
And my mom is going on and on and she's telling my dad, you know, I've seen her, Angel, she has a flat chest, big nalgas and red hair. And my mom was essentially describing herself because that's what she looked like. And I take my bags and I go down to our car and I get in the back seat. We had a 1966 Charger and I roll the windows down because it's hot and I'm sitting in the back and I hit the horn. My mom is out now on the, she's just laying into my dad. <laughs> and then I realize like my mom doesn't have anything packed. She doesn't even have her purse. So all that time she was in the room, she was not packing. And then my mom is still laying into my dad and then my dad finally, he snaps and he goes, Kino, you wanna go to that house? Do you wanna go to the house? Get in the car. And so he starts marching down the walkway and he jumps in the car. My mom's like, oh, and she's right behind him. And she jumps in and he's just like bending every block. We get to the front of this little house and my dad jumps out of the car and he walks up the walkway. And then my mom looks back at me and she goes, look how macho your dad is right now. Like she's turned on. <laughs> like all of a sudden he's got cojones and that's impressive. And um, so I say to my mom, I'm getting my own room, right? Like we're moving, right? And she goes, I'm Archie. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? You guys, I was crushed because I'm not getting my own room. This mom-daughter bond Thumb and Louise thing is over. And so I kind of try to hide my tears and I jump out of the car and I walk up to where my dad is. And he's at the door and as I'm walking up, a man opens the door and he looks at my father and looks at me. And then he says, may I help you? And my dad, doesn't know what to say. And he's kind of nervously laughing. And then he says, um, Mr. I know this is gonna sound crazy, but my wife is in the car and we all look back and my, you can't even see my mom because now she slid down the floorboard. <laughs> and you could just see like the top of her head. And he says, she's in there. And she thinks that I'm having an affair with the woman who lives in this house. And she's been going on and on and thinks I have kids with this woman. And it's just like every day I hear about this. And then the man is just, so confused and he's looking at my dad and at me and then he, my dad keeps trying to explain he goes I don't know what it is I mean I love her but she thinks I have a girlfriend and every day she goes on about the same shit and I've just had it so I came here to prove to her that this isn't happening I don't know anybody here and then the man says to my dad mister you got to get out of that marriage that's crazy you can't you, you can't live like that Come inside. Is that your daughter? Come, come, you two, come inside. <laughs> and now, now my dad is totally confused because a perfect stranger is trying to get my dad to leave my mom. <laughs> and so my dad says, no, 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 it's, a, sir, it's okay. I'm, we're okay. My wife just has an overactive imagination. Not to worry. Thank you, though. Thank you so much. You're so kind. And I'm standing there and my dad finally convinces him and they shake hands. And then my dad turns around, the man closes the door and my dad grabs my hand and we start walking back to the car. And I see on my dad's face just how weary he is and how tired he is of this. And it makes me forget about my own room, about Donnie being teabagged in the poster. <laughs> you know, the penis, John, the towel snapping, all of it. I forget all of it. 
And we walk to the car and get in, and my dad starts the engine. And then I get it at that moment why my brothers didn't react. They had seen this a thousand times. They had been the ones before me who carried the bags down to the car, lugged them back to the house. This had happened so many times before me. And as I'm sitting in the back seat, I'm looking and staring at my mom's head, and I'm thinking how much my dad must love this crazy woman to put up with all of this. And I, all those times he told that misty-eyed story about how they met at a dance social and I'm just sitting there and it's silent. And I see my dad like looking in the rearview mirror and he's looking at my mom, he's kind of like gauging the situation and she's quiet and she's just staring straight ahead, not saying a thing. And then my dad is looking and I'm thinking, wait, maybe she, finally gets it, that he doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have another family. There is no other, nothing. And maybe my dad is thinking the same thing I'm thinking, that, that they were good. And so we pull up to the house, and then my dad turns off the car, and he looks at my mom, and with so much love, you guys, he looks at her and he says, Chena, I don't know anybody in that house. And my mom is still staring straight ahead, and then she looks at him and she says, she moved, didn't she? <laughs> the end. <laughs> We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Can't you see what you do? This is Risk. This is Elvis behind me now. You know, a friend of mine from college who I've been listening to records with ever since, he used to have this rare live recording of Elvis from his worst days, you know, when he was spiraling. And he's clearly quite drunk, if not more, in this recording. But there's this moment where he introduces a song, he mispronounces a word, and then he questions his mispronunciation, then just starts the song. <laughs> so it sounded like this. This is from an album. Album. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> the actual song wasn't Hound Dog, but that's how my friend and I always quote it. Anyway, this song, Suspicious Minds, is from the album From Elvis in Memphis. And we just heard from Margarita Franco. Now, do you think we should have Margarita on a third time ASAP? I do. 
<laughs> oh my God! You know, I've been learning a lot about the attachment styles in uh, you know the theory of attachment styles in psychology and learning about having an uh, anxious attachment style personally and what to do when you learn that you have that. And I thought, well, you know. <laughs> At least I'm not as anxious as Margarita's mom. Now, you can find Margarita at Mas Margarita Franco on Instagram. Before that, we heard from Gonzo the Great on The Muppet Show in May of 1979, singing his prediction, they're going to put me in a movie. Sure enough, they did in June of 1979. I think it's hard for younger folks today to understand what an event, what a big deal it was that the Muppets got a major motion picture and you could actually see Kermit riding a bike with his frog legs. And before that, of course, was Nate Runkle, don't forget to check out his fantastic podcast, Yo, That's My John. Folks, if you're anywhere near Los Angeles, make sure to pitch us for our live show out there, for our June show. We're seeing if folks have any life experiences that come to mind from the phrase, taking a stand. Kind of like the writers in LA are currently taking a stand. Heck, even if you're not near LA, pitch us a story if the phrase Taking a stand brings a story to mind. It's easy to do over at risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, there's more happening over at patreon.com slash risk all the time. We're offering more and different kinds of bonus content. We're starting to connect more directly with fans over there. We're adding a free tier where even non-members can find some perks over there too. This week, we have a story there by Laura Crawford. She cracks him in the jaw. I hear him fall on the floor and go, fuck, you just punched me. <laughs> I was like, what the happened and she just goes sorry I forgot you were there <laughs> so don't forget we are still in a very very precarious place financially right now we are teetering and we need all the help we can get so join in on all the fun over there at patreon.com slash risk next week a scandalous letter sent by anonymous sources and a truly surreal journey into the heart of darkness by a reporter in war-torn Iraq. Meanwhile, folks, today's the day. Take a risk.